Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello and welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. If you're new, then, you know, an even warmer welcome and greetings. I think there are over 180 episodes you can go back and listen to. Some people are messaging me on Instagram and saying they're going back to the beginning and starting again. That is commitment to learning. I've had some amazing guests over the years. Now, on today's show, I have Azid. Now, he talks about title splitting. He's been in property for 20 years, so has a wealth of experience in lots of different sectors and different strategies. Now, title splitting is very lucrative, but like any strategy, has its pros and cons. Now, as it really carefully, and I suppose with a lot of clarity, talks us through his case studies with some all money out plus some extra deals. And we're talking, you know, 700k, 1.2 million GDV type deals that are no money left in and have mainly been a paperwork exercise with small refurbs. And have been generating cash flow from day one because they're potentially mainly already tenanted. It's quite a complex layered strategy, but with many, many pros and many reasons why it works so well. So without further ado, here we go. Just kidding. It's me back again. If you haven't left a review, please do leave a review on iTunes or on the Facebook page. Thank you. Azil, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Cheers, Ted. Thank you very much for having me. So I am particularly interested in this topic myself because it's something that I've heard about, I've seen, uh, I have come across and I thought, well, hold on a minute, this strategy is is pretty awesome. Obviously, like every strategy has its pros and cons, uh, but this is something that I've always thought makes a lot of sense. And I think sometimes it can be maybe more of a paperwork exercise versus, you know, getting muddy and actually plastering walls and painting stuff and, <laughs> you know, dealing with, with lovely builders. But before we get into this strategy, uh, which people will know is title splitting from the podcast title, tell me a little bit about yourself, maybe what you were doing before property, how you got into it. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, so I completely agree with the the idea that it's quite different title splitting to you know getting muddy and skims of plaster coming down your head when you are when you are kind of kind of uh, re- refurbishing. But there are some elements that I'll talk about for this podcast that you know does involve a little bit of that, unfortunately. So it is not all you know glamour and and glitz. So there are some hard work to be done. So. I guess a little bit about me. So um, I've, I've been property uh, investing in property now for the last 20 years. Um, I started when I was at university, believe it or not. Um, I used my student loans at that time to buy my first house uh, and um, and help with the help of my parents standing in for the mortgage. I used my student loans as deposit and really got going that way, realized that actually I could buy something, rent it and pay the mortgage, but still make a bit of money every month. And really that's, where the kind of, if you like to think, I wasn't thinking that way. They you know that the the big plan or big strategy was, but that that's where it started. 
Um, and then, you know, over the last 20 years, I've expanded into, so I've got uh, multiple bike-to-lets. Uh, we've got 100-room HMO, business that we run, service accommodation. And the last kind of four or five years, I've focused on title splitting, which is basically involving buying bigger block of freehold flats and creating leases, uh, creating new value out of them, uh, refinancing. And the idea is what I promote is to recycle as much, if not all of my money out of each deal, which then helps to buy the next one. Uh, and then recently I've started to kind of go down the, the new build route as well. Interesting. And out of all those strategies, which one has been your least favorite? Um, the vanilla bite to let. Really? Why is that? Yeah. Because it doesn't pay. It is rubbish for return on investment. In my view. And, and I'm very conscious that loads of people, look, don't get me wrong, you know, for, 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 you know, for the first 10 years, that was my strategy. But that's because I didn't know anything anymore. But, and I didn't even think to, to stop to think to change my strategy. Truly because I was, you know, I was working, I had a career and I was doing well. And I just, I knew that I just kept on buying houses, but not really thinking about actually, is this really the only way to make money out of properties? Um, and I'll give you a very loose example, but on average, my, most of my, most of my buy to let are yielding around 400 pounds a month, you know, net, but that, that I get out of them, you know, some about 600, some about, you know, 400, but the average is four, four, four to 500 pounds a month. How many four to five hundred pound a month do you need to make a decent, uh, you know, return on your money or to replace your income? It's quite a lot. If, if the average income, let's say, is three thousand pounds, you're looking at, you know, you need to be buying quite a lot of these multiples. And to buy to buy each of these multiples, right now, I invest in London in the southeast of England. You're looking at sixty to eighty grand of deposit. That's quite a lot. Mm. So when you say buy to lets, you mean, so you weren't doing buy refurbish refinance, you were just buying them 25% deposit and letting them let, let out. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. For the first 10 years, that that's what I really then, you know, to, to be honest, I, you know, I, I was buying below market, but nowhere near what we do now. You know, you know, right now I'm buying things that are, you know, 30%, 40% below market value, uh, adding value to it, recycle every bit of money that I can, um, and then leaving it with no money on mine. That works great. But my biggest thing was I was buying buy to let, market rate, not doing, you know, yeah. Not doing as well I could have done probably yeah i suppose it's all, it's all a learning curve and that kind of leads me to my next kind of question which is you know being in property for such a such a long time what what do you think are some of i don't know the the biggest changes that are in the market now you know compared to when you first started so i think one of the biggest changes we're seeing uh is the ability for people to buy houses uh what i mean by that is in 2017 european regulations changed Post um, financial crisis, they looked at um, how much of a multiple of somebody's wage can be used now to buy to be used as a um, as a marker of how much mortgage they get. So before that, uh, the average person, let's say, was earning fifty thousand. Normally, you don't get four times your multiple, so you'll get a mortgage up to two hundred thousand. Right now. The rules are: if you earn the fifty thousand, it's not times four, and you get two hundred. It's fifty thousand. Do you have kids? Do you have uh, uh, commuting costs? Do you have all sorts of other costs that you pay? So actually, you deduct that from the fifty thousand. Let's say that's a fifteen thousand deduction. 
So your ability to get a mortgage now has significantly reduced to 140,000. Now, the average house cost up and down the country is 250,000. So straight away, most people can't buy a house. So I think the biggest change that I've seen in the last 10 years is the price to income ratio has massively increased. And that then leads a lot of more people coming into private resident, a private rental sector. Mm, interesting. That's a, that's, yeah, that's a really good observation. And I think, I suppose it's become more sensible because I've heard of back in the day, you just self-certify your mortgage, you get 110% LTV, all sorts of matters, which is great. Like, for yes, investors, yes. but yeah. it's not very safe. And clearly it showed how unsafe it was. So yeah. title splitting then. So what, I mean, what got you into title splitting? Did you discover it sort of by seeing someone else do it? Did you do it by accident? How did you get into it? Um, um, so, so after 20 years of doing something or being in it for 20 years, I, I am, I'm someone who gets bored of doing things over and over again. And so that's why I look for things. So that's why I've gone from buy to lair, HMO, service accommodation. And then, you know, the next bit to learn was, you know, well, what else could I do? You know, what else, what other strategies are there? So I, I delved into, you know, reading books, uh, listening to, funny enough, you know, uh, you know, podcasts, you know, podcasts was really brilliant because and I, and I think your podcasts, uh, carries quite a large uh, following as well. So learning through hearing what others are doing uh, and more importantly, just understanding that there was another strategy called title splitting. Um, so that's how I came about it. So I, I really actively t- uh, stopped to think about what else could I do in property that will yield hopefully higher return than what I was doing. Uh, and that's how I came about it. Mm, okay. And, you know, for people who are listening who are new or who don't know what title splitting is, how would you best explain it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so uh, the, the best way and the most simplest way to, to look at title splitting strategy is um, taking something that's on a freehold, one big block. And in my case, I look at big blocks of flats. So you have a big block of, let's say, eight to 10 units of individual flats but they all are still under one freehold. So the idea is the owner or the freeholder still owns that whole block, but from a land registry technicality here, from a land registry perspective, that block is still under one freehold. Mm-hmm. So the title splitting part of what I do is I buy the block, then I create new leases, if you like, uh, under that freehold, splitting those eight to 10 units into individual uh, flats that then I can refinance uh, and uh, and remortgage individually. And by doing that, I create the value of, um, you know, basically disaggregation, I guess, you know, is what I call it best in my book. You know, I talk about disaggregating the actual large uh, unit into multiple units. Hmm. And, you know, title splitting, you know, I mean, well, I guess firstly, buying a big block requires, uh, you know, more cash than, a, you know, just buying a kind of single buy to let, obviously, depending on where you are in the country. Would you say that title splitting is something that people could do on their first few deals? Or should they have some experience elsewhere before they get onto like a big block and split it? Uh, I'll answer that in two ways. One, if you have somebody who's helping you along, then you know what? You could do it the first time around. 
you know, what, with a coach, for example, who spe- specifically uh, can help you around any strategies will help you. But let's say in this in this example, if you're if you're working with somebody who is hand holding you for the process, there's no reason why you can't do it on your first round. If you're trying to do it on your own, at uh, I would suggest you probably want to get a bit of experience around the industry itself. You know what? How does what does what's a freehold versus a leasehold? How does the mortgage work on these things, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know. It, it can be done, I guess. My, my, my answer would be it can be done at your first round if you've got some help to help you or maybe build up a bit of knowledge around the industry before you get into it. Mm, okay, that makes sense. And, you know, from a kind of complexity perspective, how much more complex would you say title splitting in, in this example you gave is compared to, you know, a, yeah. a kind of a, a buy, refurbish, refinance, buy to let? Is it similar? So I would say that's probably the difference between title splitting strategy versus a HMO or a buy-to-let, um, vanilla buy-to-let. It's, it's the complexity bit. So there are phases of uh, works that has to be done uh, so that you get, get, you get from a one uh, freehold to multiple leasehold flats. And I think that's, that's inherent complexity is where the value lies. Um, you know, like, like, you know, like we always say, you know, if it was easy, you know, everybody will be doing it. And if everybody's doing it, there's, you know, in terms of economics, you know, you, there's no value really because it become a commoditized market. Um, so the same thing with title speaking here, it is more complex, but having said that, if I can do it, actually most people can do it. It's just another process that you have to learn. And in fact, like I, you know, like I say, you know, I coach people through the process around what to buy, how to buy, how to finance, how to then undergo and undertake the legal requirements at the end how do you recycle your money and by refinancing that via multiple lenders Hmm. and you know what are some of the because you know when people start on property it's like right you got 101 strategies they're all amazing they're all lucrative they're all you know they claim to be easy obviously none of them are um there's there's so much choice and i think a lot of it is maybe dependent on people's situation whether that's a good or bad way of looking at it but why should people title split like what what are the pros of title splitting for you okay so it's bigger return on your money that's the first thing you know so it's it's uh, you are buying as you say higher value assets yes but by doing that you become one of a smaller pool of people who are buying these assets first versus you go to an auction every dog and their uh, every person in their dog is trying to buy the house that's a hundred thousand pounds or less so that's why the hundred thousand pound or less goes to hundred and fifty thousand pounds and and now it doesn't make any sense to buy that house a hundred fifty thousand pounds when you when you are looking at title splitting you are leveraging or you are buying at a much higher cost but guess what the the block that you're buying at 800,000, it's only probably three people that's competing against you on that. So first, you reduce your competition. So why should somebody get into this? Is actually you reduce your competition of what you're buying. By doing that, you can negotiate a better, and I'm hoping at some point I'll give you an example of this, uh, a better deal out of what's being sold. Thirdly, the return if you, as long as you buy the right thing, you buy below market value, you do the right strategy, the return on your investment is significant, uh, much more significant than any other strategies that I do at the moment. Hmm. Okay. Now, 
the next kind of thing I want to ask you perhaps is, is to take us through the process of title splitting from sourcing to, you know, kind of analyzing it. But before that, I want to whet everyone's mm-hmm. appetite for, you know, the kind of deals that you can do with title splitting. So, you know, if you could share with us a case study, including the figures, just before we get into that, mm-hmm. that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, so, so I guess I'll, I'll take the one that I'm kind of just about, fi- well, I've finished it uh, about three months now, all the money's out. So, and, and, I, and I'll walk you through the scenario and, and you know, the, kind of the, the, the costings of it, uh, if you like. So this one, uh, so how did I find it to begin with? So I found this one on auction, actually. And, 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 and quite frankly, if people are listening and say, you know, okay, well, how do I find these deals? How do I find blocks of flats on freehold? Um, there are multiple ways. Uh, one of the good ways of doing it is uh, auction. So auction catalogs. And the reason why that is, is because you have a lot of landlords, and I was going to say old landlords, older landlords, retiring landlords who just want now to get shot of these expensive pieces of uh, real estate. And to do that, not everybody can buy a million pounds, 500,000 pounds worth of blocks of flats with existing tenants in, uh, it's, it's quite, you know, there's a lot less, as I alluded to, a lot less people willing and wanting to buy these things. To do that, they go on to our auction books. So every month on average, I would easily find two or three of these blocks. So if anybody's thinking, oh, it's not in my area or I don't have, you know, it's really hard for me to find. I want to dispel that to begin with. Auctions are your go-to first point of call to find these deals. Um, so how did I find this one? It's exactly what I said. It's an auction. It came on an auction catalog. And I looked at it. I thought, actually, this is quite an interesting one. It's a block of eight flats. Uh, and um, and basically, it was coming on to the auction. I thought, you know, let me take a look at it and uh, and see how it does. On the day, guess what? Nobody, well, people bid on it, but it didn't sell. And that's another little trick that I'd like to share with people. I spent quite a lot of time buying things that didn't sell in the auction. And you might find it's a bit like counterintuitive. Well, why would you buy something that doesn't sell in the auction? The reason why I do that is because actually my negotiation power goes up significantly. Because in this scenario, you know, this one was guided uh, at that time at seven, if I recall, 750, 750,000 for this block of eight flats. And it didn't sell. So what I then did was to call the auctioneer out and say, look, I'd, I'd like to have a look at this block. Uh, when's the next viewing? It didn't sell. Uh, and is it still for sale? Blah, blah, blah. So I did that. And they said, yeah, fine, come along. And there's another viewing date that's happening. A few people turned up. There were three people on the day that I went. Uh, and uh, I went around and I thought, actually, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Um, it's a big block. They were already out of the eight. There were already six people uh, renting the block there. Uh, two of them was empty and the flat, uh, the blocks were actually just tired. You know, the guy who had it, had it for about 25 years and it's just, it was clean. You know, we had carpets then that I had in my house when I was 10 years old. So you can imagine, you know, it was just old. It wasn't, it wasn't derelict or anything like that. It was just old and people were paying, you know, reasonable rent on it. So what did I do? I, I went over from it and i then said okay well you've not sold it uh, so what is an ex, you know a, a fair and reasonable offer for me to offer negotiated a little bit and i put an offer in uh, it got rejected one or two times in the end i, I ended up buying it at fifty thousand pounds less than the guide price so hmm. i picked this up for seven hundred thousand pounds for the eight flats and that's an important point there because obviously with auction guide reserve you know 
generally speaking, is not going to sell for less than the reserve, and especially not less for the guide. But the fact that you did it just shows that you have to take shots and take these opportunities because that's unusual, you know, to get below guide is very unusual. So, you know, that just says something about what can be achieved if you're in it to win it, I suppose. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. And, and guess what, Ted? I was happy to pay a little bit more than that. You know, I would have gone a little bit more than that. But you know what? You know, as ever, you know, you, you go you go further down and then you, you negotiate up if need to. I didn't have to at this time. Great. I bought it. So so I, I want the, the, the listeners to remember a couple of things. So the purchase price was 700000 eight flats, uh, and the average unit per flat then cost me 87500 So 87,500 pounds per flat, it cost me in the end uh, on entry. Um, The the little trick here, you know, one thing that I was a bit concerned to begin with, purely because, you know, it was relatively new. This was a great two-listed building. I loved the building. And actually, one of the reasons why I still do this is I love buildings. I love buying old houses, Victorian houses, loads of cars with character and stuff. So that was also another appeal because, you know, it's not just about money, but, you know, you are, I'm trying to, keep these amazing buildings in the same state that it would have been back then as well. So, uh, but that, that was also a risk as well. I could have, you know, I was thinking, well, if I buy this and there's a, an issue with it, I might find it hard to change things in the actual block, but it, thankfully it didn't materialize. So, so that was the purchase price. So what, so then what did I have to do? Um, so the plan as per a title splitting strategy is to buy the freehold which was the eight flats, and then create multiple leases on it. Now, how do you make money out of this? So you have to create value. First of all, I refurbed all of the eight flats. And uh, and a little quirk that I did was, remember I said there was two empty. One of them I, I, I refurbished first. It was a big one. It's now a, a really uh, high-end Airbnb of mine that I rent. Uh, but I used that one flat to move people in the block around. So I said, look, you know, I'll come in and refurb your house or your flat. Uh, you don't have to move. Uh, you don't have to pay anymore. But, you know, what I want you to do is to give us four weeks in your flat. You move downstairs. We will take away, away all your stuff and we'll put it back once we finish. And you know what? Nobody refused. Mm-hmm. So we just almost did a bit of a lexicon type of movement. So at all six stayed. Uh, they had great new uh, flats at the end. But what I was getting was I was getting refurb flat at the end of it. That at some point, when I create the leases and when I come to refinance, my surveyor comes up with his clipboard and looks at a flat that's completely brand new. Mm-hmm. So I get market rate valuation. Second, I do not lose income. And I do this as a standard most, as much as possible, most of the block of flats that I, I buy. A lot of people say, oh, I'll buy it, I'll get rid of people, then i start work. I do it the other way. I leave people in, I move them about uh, as long as they're happy and I pay them for their inconvenience. But you know what? Over time, out of the six flats, I was still getting income coming in for the period of time that I was refurbishing the, the block. So... Refurbed, uh, that added uh, extra value. The second part of the extra value uh, in the block, there was a couple of really large one-bedroom flats, which I created an, uh, an extra bedroom in them. That was my second point of creating value. So here, again, I want the listeners to understand that it's not just about 
creating a lease on paper. You create value multiple ways by doing these things. And the more of these ways you create value in, the higher the valuation of the, the total amount becomes. Um, so I created a couple of two beds out of the one bed that again created more value out of the block. And in the end, I ended up then refinancing all eight flats up to market value. So the market value then became what really you know, um, encompassed my return. So the total block at the end of all my works uh, were revalued. Uh, obviously, individually, they were revalued, but collectively, all eight flats were revalued up to 1.2 million. Wow. Which is... When you think about how much I paid, yeah, which is, you know, I paid 700,000 and they all revalued up collectively to a total amount of 1.2 mil. And it cost me six months of work. Wow. So, and so you, at, at 1.2, you refinanced and pulled out most of yep. your money all of yeah. your money you uncued ted so so the next bit is so what happens with the money so 1.2 mil is and, and, and i won't talk about it in terms of single i'll talk about it in the collective but bear in mind now mm-hmm. we have we have eight individual flats that are adding up to 1.2 million but just to keep the math simple on on this podcast what happens to the money now uh was 1.2 million revaluation i mortgaged to 75 percent loan to value so I get £900,000 worth of mortgages out. That then uh, allows me to pay myself £700,000. Uh, well, I'll talk about how I finance it. So partly was, part was financed by bridging, part was my own cash. So let, but let's say the, the cost that I put in was 700000 plus refurb cost of sixty grand and all the costs. My total cost was seven hundred and sixty. But the mortgage that came out of the, uh, the, the refinancing was 900000 so straight away, I was in profit of one hundred forty thousand pounds. Wow! The second thing, so yeah, go on. So yeah. so you actually so you pulled out all your original money, so you, you know a free asset yeah. we potentially call yeah. it here, but then you also pulled out some extra for fun because you added so much value. Absolutely. So one hundred percent cash recycled. All of my money came out. Uh, I paid the bridging finance. I paid the refurb cost. And still made £140,000 worth of profit on that one transaction, uh, basically to go and, to go and buy anything you want. Uh, but, you know, I, I reinvest. I reinvest. I don't, I'm not a big, uh, I mean, 140K is a benchmark. <laughs> if you wanted to. Yeah. But I mean, but, but, but I guess that the point is, you know, is you, you can make large and don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying every single one produces that sort of money. But it's all relative to how much you're mm. buying. And, and I'll share with you know, a couple of other things as well. But the idea is the money. You can see why at the start I said the reason why I like title splitting is you can make some of these bigger returns. And when you think about the time invested, six months worth of work actually is not that long to produce that sort of money. So, and you know, just so mm. people are aware, what sort of you – know, a lot of people generally – go if they live in london or the kind of south southeast they look to the north generally because of prices yields things like that what general area would you say you're investing in so so my big thing is i only invest within one and a half hours of where i can drive to uh which is my area so i live in london so i'll I'll, i will invest in london and the southeast of england so kent essex are my kind of key areas of investment purely because I can get to these places within an hour, an hour and a half. 
And I'll tell you why. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because one, my employees can also do the same because it's unfair of me to pay somebody or to work with people who live in London, but be expecting them to drive to Liverpool to manage a project. One, because they've got families. We've all got families for that. Two, the biggest reason I do it is because of efficiency. All of my team members, when I say my team members, my plasterer, my plumber, my electrician, and they've all been with me now on average seven, eight years. They are all pick up in, uh, they all pick up their bags and go to wherever I need them to go to every day. And they don't moan because it's commutable. And in my, my sense, I get the same team, the same level of, 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 um, outputs, the same level of finish that I can expect from each of my trades. And I don't need to manage them. You know, there's the key. This is what you need to do. Get on with it. And, and I'll pay you as soon as your, your money, uh, your work is done. So efficiency wise, it's a big thing of mine, I, you know, and, and that's why I invest in the areas that I do. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. And I suppose it, it, it just makes life easier. I've invested far from home and, yeah. you know, whilst it can be done and, and it certainly, you know, isn't a bad thing. Yeah. It, it's tiring. It's very, very tiring if anyone is listening. Yes. Um, so you know these deals right yeah how and i suppose that one in particular maybe how are you funding them are you sure. investor your own cash bridging what's your go-to so so this particular one you know just to stick to this example for example uh that it was seven hundred thousand. if you recall the purchase price i bridged 350 and i and i bought cash 350 the reason why i did that is i'm i'm a risk taker but i'm a, I'm a calculated risk taker i'd like to think so i thought okay i don't want to bridge too much because here is a, is a strategy that could actually hold, well, it does hold a bit of risk. So the risk could have been, you know, it takes a lot longer to refinance that I think it would have done. So it could have taken a year to refinance, but being on a bridge for that long can be quite costly. And, and all of a sudden, your £140,000 profit goes down very quickly. One. The second thing is land registry takes time. And right now in the COVID situation, it's even worse. But land registry could have taken longer mm-hmm. to register these sales and leases. So, so the way I bought this one was 50-50 with the idea of the risk, uh, with, with understanding what risk may be there that I could actually still stomach and uh, if these risks came to, uh, came to bear. And... Bridging finance is something that a lot of people, especially when new, seem to kind of get, you know, warned away from as expensive, as, as costly as their sharks, as all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I've used bridging a lot and, you know, it did the job and it was bloody effective and mm-hmm. quick. It wasn't that expensive compared to not buying an asset. It's pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on bridging in general? Um, I think it's mixed bag. I, th- I, th- I agree with you that actually, instead of not doing something, 100%, you know, uh, bridging is much more effective and much more um, uh, lucrative. Having said that, you're bridging, at, you know, it depends the size of your bridge. If you're bridging a million uh, and you get stuck on a million pound bridge, you are in deep waters very quickly. You also have to bridge with the right bridging finance company. And that is missed on a, by a lot of people. And I coach people now and people say to me, oh, I've been asked to, uh, to put my house up for, for, on a bridge and the APR are eye-watering. Let alone that, you know, also the other thing to remember is bridging finance. Most bridging finance are unregulated uh, companies. 
So they can put a, 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 an AP of 60%, 80%, 1,000%. They can choose whatever they want because it's unregulated. But unlike your personal mortgage, it can be quite risky. Now, that's the risk. What's the good thing about bridging? In, in my case, when I did it, actually, I was pleasantly surprised. Without um, their bridge, I would have not probably bought this place. Uh, but bridging with the right uh, uh, bridging finance company, uh, and also I bridge with a company that has got a term product. So you can de-risk your, your, um, your ability to take a bridge because him, let me give you an example. So, um, there's a bank called Shawbrook, uh, and we shouldn't really be advertising, but you know, I'll give, I'll give them a plug, but, but I think it, it's good because they were close to the market. They understood the concern that you and I may have to take a bridge which is all the things that I've just talked about. But what they came up with, a product called bridge to term. So they say, okay, you can buy a house on a bridge. Our surveyor comes out, uh, values it, gives you the bridge. and But also then gives you an idea of how much that house will be worth if all the things you say you're going to do, you do. And if you do do that, on the second visit that they come back out after you've done the work, there's the mortgage you're going to get from us. And that mortgage is a normal mortgage. So it de-risks. It de-risked my approach to bridging finance straight away because I thought, you know, and then since since doing this these block of flats, I've used uh, bridging like Shawbrook quite a bit, and they're called bridge to term products. If you haven't heard about it yet, you know, or your listeners haven't heard about it, uh, definitely speak to your brokers. There are some great bridging finance out there that allows you to to take these projects on. Mm, definitely, and. In your book, you briefly spoke about vendor finance. Is this something mm-hmm. you've done before? I mean, is it as uncommon as we think? So vendor finance, in my humble opinion, is very hard to achieve in the southeast of England. And and the reason why I say that is because I've, it's not that I've not tried, but it's asking you and I, an asset owner in London, southeast of England, where the commute and the pricing of asset is pretty high, demand is high to buy them, but you're asking these uh, vendors to fund your purchase, give you the time to do whatever you need to do, uh, uh, title split or create new value refurb or whatever, and yet still get them, you pay them the same price that they are selling the house or the property at, at the moment. In my view, and, and, and I still talk about it to some of the coaches that I mentor at the moment, you know, some parts of the country, I think vendor finance is a lot harder to achieve than other parts of the country. If you have assets who, which has been sitting on the market for a long period of time and you can't get people to buy them. Yes, as a vendor, I might consider somebody who trots up and says, you know what, I'll buy it at this price. Give me six months and uh, I'll do all the things that I need to do. And then I'll refinance and I'll pay you off. In my opinion, in, in, in my area, I find that very hard to find. Yeah, I mean, uh, it makes sense that it's hard to find because there's always someone who either has a different risk appetite, different goals, different cash in their bank account, maybe hasn't done their research, who will come in and say, you know, I'll buy it at this price. Potentially, there's going to be someone, especially in in our area, London, you know, who's like, yeah, whatever, buy it. Yeah. And auctions, you know, come on. I mean, you, you, if you're that desperate to sell your asset, put it in auction. If it's in the southeast of England, I think you'll sell. You know, you might have to take a few thousand off. You'll sell it. So, yeah, it, there's such demand. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and the reason why it, 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 this 
irritates me a little bit this vendor financing where it's been plugged as the panacea to some investors. Oh, come on this course. We'll teach you about vendor finance. You'll go out of the door and you'll find multiples. People are falling over themselves to sign this vendor finance uh, request to give you their house. <laughs> I find that quite a disingenuous uh, approach. Don't get me wrong. I don't say it doesn't happen, but to sell it as a strategy that is always going to happen, whichever part of the country, whenever you want, I think is slightly disingenuous. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it, it makes a good title for a course or for a YouTube video, but um, the reality yeah. of it is is different to that. Yeah. And, you know, tile splitting sounds so far to be a pretty awesome strategy, but what do you think are, you know, because before we covered the pros of it, the benefits, what do you mm-hmm. think are the cons of it, the kind of negative parts of tile splitting? I think the complexity to begin with is one of the first things that you need to be able to 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 get your head around. Um, and, and again, like anything, nothing is unsurmountable. If I can do it, anybody else can do it. To get around the complexity is you need to understand how it works. And secondly, have the team around you to be able to execute on those uh, intricacies, whether it's a legal system intricacy or the financing intricacies. So I think that the, the, the cons, it's not really a con, it's more of a something that you really need to bear in mind what is a challenge in this strategy is the complexity of it. But to do that, you need to build your knowledge and your, your team of people who can actually, A, understand what you're trying to do, and be be able to execute it on your behalf. Because believe me, eh, I am no legal expert, but I know the strategy enough to be able to guide the right conveyancer or the right solicitor as to what I'm trying to achieve. I work with a great broker to be able to then help the lenders who understand this strategy to be able to then work with us to div- to, to A, develop and uh, deliver on these refinances. So, I think that will be my, my, my first challenge that I would say to people to be aware of. It is nothing unsurmountable. Uh, and, and, you know, not that I'm plugging my book here, but if you read uh, in my uh, Grow Your Wealth through title splitting group, you will see I lay that out about what you need to know about this strategy to be able to deliver it effectively. The second is around, again, it's a challenge more than a, a cons, in my view, the higher the value you buy with the, the decent below market value built in, the higher the returns you're going to, you're going to, you're going to make. So as an example, I gave 700,000 yielded quite a decent return at the end of 140,000 with passive income and none of my money left in. On the flip side, I still buy, I mean, I bought a block of three the other day, uh, at 210,000. It'll probably revalue around 350,000. So, you can still make money at, at the at the lower end, but the return in in in, in terms of actual return is going to be lower, of course. But the percentage terms, you still probably make just as much uh, percentage return on your money. So the the challenge, second challenge is you know uh, the the big money arrives when you buy the bigger block because the more complex and less competition, you can drive a better bargain uh, out of those as well. So. I think those are the two things I would say uh, comes with uh, title splitting, the complexity and the need to go a bit bigger than what you might be comfortable in buying. Mm. And I know you kind of mentioned that you work with a great broker and, and legal team. I mean, 
are all solicitors created equal when it comes to title splitting or do you need a specialist? Absolutely not. That's the, that's the biggest thing, you know, no solicitor. Definitely. This is not as, this is not for your jobbing solicitor who is ticking off a conveyancing purchase. You know, if somebody doesn't understand what you're trying to do, you will struggle. They will struggle. They will put you off. And so yeah, totally that is a key criteria for success working with the right legal minds. One, the same thing applies to a broker. Uh, not all brokers are created equal. Uh, you need to work with people who understand these strategies, who understand the intricacies of it and understand and able to present it to the right lenders as well. Because not every lender is also of that same mindset as well. Mm, I agree. And I think, you know, even if you have a great solicitor who does your, you know, normal conveyancing purchases, they may not be skilled or experienced enough to do this. Even if they're amazing at HMOs or buy to lets, they just may not have the kind of right experience. Now with title splitting, have you ever had a project, uh, you know, I don't say go wrong, but maybe come out worse than you expected? Have there ever been any major roadblocks? Um, I would say no to the first one uh, in terms of a major calamity. And I'll give you the reason why, because I have this deal analyzer that I built myself that I go through for every deal that I buy. And that literally, it's, I mean, cell-wise on an Excel spreadsheet, it's, 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 it's quite a lot. But the idea is I take my view of what I'm buying now all the way down to five years from now. What is it going to be worth? How much? money am i going to make in rent how much money am i going to have uh, left in if any and recycle so because of this due diligence i do and i guess hopefully experience as well i've been lucky in being able to avoid any calamity having said that there are a couple of things that i think you know i didn't you know you don't know what you don't know until it happens and even oh actually i know that for next time uh one would be my one one kind of key learn that I, i learned on the first one was studio if you buy a block, and quite a lot of blocks come, un- unfortunately, with one or two studios, they are your black sheep of the family, you know, uh, and that is one thing that we need to be aware of and also e- either price it in or don't buy it if it's not going to be, if the numbers are not going to add up. And I'll give you an example. So, you know, a block of flats that I bought, there was one studio in it and that one studio to this day, I've not been able to refinance it. Uh, one, because uh, COVID, but, but more importantly is because it's just at the cost of 30 square meters. So we are now waiting for COVID to be over to send another uh, value in and they will then base their report on value of comments. If the value comes out and says, well, 30, well, it's 29 square meters, well, just on this cusp, we think it's okay, then we'll get the refinance. But I've had the value of going into, no, it is not fit for, um, it is too small, it's 29 square meters, it's one square meter that's lower than this lender is willing to, to, to lend on. So we're not going to lend on it. So I, th- I think that's one of my key learns with title splitting that people can get a bit tripped up if you don't know about these things, but you only know it until once you start doing these things. Mm. And, you know, in your book, I saw one of the case studies was because, you know, we've kind of spoken about blocks of flats yeah. so far. One of them, which I know we don't have time to go into detail mm-hmm. of it because it is very detailed in there, was a bungalow with quite a, quite an elongated plot yes. with road access, I think, in front and at the rear. So quite nice for, you know, splitting down the middle. Yeah. What are your, I mean, I, I suppose, tell us a little bit about that and what your plans are with that. Because you mentioned you're looking at new builds. Now yes, well. correct, correct, correct. Yeah, so so basically this one, I mean, you know, the 
it's great great one to pick up actually so i bought this one six six months ago five months ago so only this week we finished all the refurb on the bungalow so when i bought when i was buying this in auction uh i bought it with the idea that i was going to split the title of the plot that the bungalow currently sits in so like you say it's a rectangular piece of uh, land uh if you imagine a th- the first third is where the existing house is on and two third of that uh, for your listeners it's empty at the moment it's, it's the the house's drive so uh, right now we've put in for a pre-app application that's going through uh, uh we've got a meeting on friday next week with the planners the idea would be to if we get planning permission to build a, a second bungalow in the 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 front of of that plot of land if you like and that front has already got the road access and at the back of that house uh, where my fence is at the moment i have just negotiated with uh, a large i wanted the name a large home uh, builder uh, to buy the ransom strip at the back of that um, fence and to buy that <laughs> ransom strip and i laugh because if people know what a ransom strip is it's, it's an absolute joke it's a bit of it's six foot of piece of grass that i have to buy to get access to the road and to buy that We've gone from £48,000, and I think we've negotiated and agreed now on 28000 to buy six feet of grass that I can lift my fence, go across that six <laughs> piece, and then, and then I'll end up on the road. But I need the access for the, second, for the existing house. If not, I can't use the plot of land. And that's why they can charge so much, because it's literally a ransom. It is a ransom. Like, well, you yep. need it. They don't yep. care. <laughs> you, you're going to pay what you need to but pay. But there is one thing to, to learn. I mean, mo- another learn here to share is, you know, this ransom trip, it's the first time I've ever come across, oh, not come across, but dealt with it physically in, in, in terms of negotiation. We started at £48,000. And this is a national builder, big one, we, on the stock exchange. So they, they, they're large. And I, I want to pass down to your listeners that you can still negotiate with them. It has to be a robust negotiation. It has to be something that's based on, you know, I developed a model around build per square meter, et cetera, et cetera, and then submitted a reason why I think it's X versus Y. And in the end, we've ended up 20 grand lower than what they were expecting to, to, to sell it for. So there is always room for negotiation as long as you package it in the right way, uh, even with these big, large uh, Goliath com- um, companies. So, so here, hopefully, once once we get planning permission, uh, and the reason why I bought it also is because next, uh, all of the next door on the left hand side have done exactly what I'm proposing to do is to split that land. They've already done it; it's done it ten years ago. So I'm hoping we won't have much of an issue in getting planning permission. And if we do, the money on this purchase is going to come from this uh, the significant money. I mean, we're talking ballpark two hundred thousand by the time I finish and sell. Uh, by the time I, you know, uh, it's it's also kind of um, split off and and built and sold. Wow! And you found this project at auction? Did you auction? Say? So it was a repo, uh, and um, it was a repossession. Sorry, uh, and uh, this came, you know, um, yeah, came on. I think people, you just need to kind of have the eye for it to think. Okay, well, there's a rectangular piece here. There's two access roads. You know, could this be? Uh, and yeah, so that's how I saw it. I, you know, I, I looked at the, the actual house itself and, and I knew that could add value to that to bring it up. The actually, in fact, now we just had it surveyed. We paid 340 plus 20 odd thousand of, uh, renovation. 360 is just been revalued at 425. So already, you know, we've made a bit of money on the first one, but the big money is hopefully with the planning and the build. And I suppose you've also de-risked it because whatever mm-hmm. happens now, Correct. 
you are still making the, the that profit. You know, if you worst case, yeah. you're making a, a decent ish chunk of profit, you know, given that the refurb was, you know, fairly kind of small as well. That in itself is a lesson for people, right? It's like you're protecting, like if the developer said, I want a hundred grand for it, no nego, like he just said, no, yeah. then, you know, you're still quids in, which I think is a, a way that people listening need to think is yeah. the layers. Okay. Well, what happens? What's plan A? What's plan B and C and D? Have I got four exits? Because if you haven't, yeah you know, if this revalued the, what you've put into it, yeah, fine. You get off with no profit, but then you put time into it for nothing. So I really like that. It's, it's de-risked. Um, yeah. And in I, multiple, I mean, looking at the picture here, the, the drive is so long. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but there's a couple of things that I also, you know, you learn as you go along. So I had the, the architect come out and said, you know, to do the plans, you need to leave 10 meters from the house before the, the fence is put up for the next house. So yes, it's a long plot, but actually, if you think about 10 meters from the existing house to put the fence and then from that fence, another seven meters before you can build the house. So you need that sort of length to be able to build the house. So, so I think, I think, yeah, it's, it, yeah. it, it's lucky in that way. You know, sometimes, you know, you know, luck favors the brave, as I say, you know, it's like, you've got to take the risk and then, but you're right. You know, I think in terms of layering, that's exactly what I did uh, in terms of, so I bought it, refurbed it, knowing that if plan A of buying the ransom strip didn't work out and I had a budget, my budget was 60 grand max to buy that, that, that uh, ransom strip. I got it in the for 28, but I thought if they charge or if they are for any more than 60, it's a no go up. So I've got to refinance that, that house, leave it as, as, as rental, move on. I, uh, but I thought if I get the, the, the ransom strip at a decent price, I can then apply for planning. So I staged it. So everything was staged. As soon as I got the 28 approved, I did, I've not paid them yet. So I would only pay when I get the planning permission approved. That's when I pay the 28. Uh, so, so then you're, 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 as you say, you're rightly de-risking all the time. You're not spending money until you're, you're hundred percent sure you're going to be able to do it. Mm. I like that. And of course, you know, the, the meterage, you spoke to the right professional to know that because I could go on that site. It, let's say the the site was half the, the size and I could think, oh, you know what? I could build something. Yeah. Foolishly go and buy it. Then I asked the architect and they say, um, yeah. no, you know, and that's an expensive mistake. So that's another little thing is knowing who and when to ask. And again, you know, it's not, it's going to take them four minutes to answer your question. So, it's not like a cost or anything like that. Now, when it comes to, you know, a lot, a lot of the properties or case studies we've spoken about have been auction. I love auction. Yeah. I just, I, I wish I could buy everything at auction. 28 day or less completion, no messing around. Oh, thank you. But estate agents and commercial estate agents, what are your thoughts on them? How useful have they been for you? How useful are they generally for title splitting projects? Yeah, I, I, I love my estate agents. You know, my contact in estate agents bring me loads of things and actually I would not discount them at all because believe it or not, if you look at any of those uh, portals, there are loads of block of flats on Rightmove, Zoopla, on the market, prime location, all of those. So they are, they are out there. And, uh, and actually sometimes you get, I mean, I get offered things before they even list on the market because they know I'll be interested in it. So, um, I, I get the deals from there. So, um, I would say don't discount estate agents and, uh, any other com- owner, commercial agent. Again, they know who the landlords are, who are looking to offload their portfolio. So they will give me a ring and say, you know, the, this landlord is looking at this this block of flats at the moment or this commercial unit at the moment with, with some flats above, are you interested? So 
hundred percent, you know, tap into your uh, estate agents, commercial agents. And, um, and, you know, I would say my purchases are probably 60% auction, 40% your traditional route. So you still, you know, I'll still buy quite a bit for your traditional routes. Hmm. And I mean, would you say that working with agents for title splitting projects is kind of, it's the same core principles as working with them for any other type, or do you have to brief them differently or kind of maybe mention different things to them? Yeah. yeah, You've got to, you know, you've got to, it's a bit like we talked about the solicitor who's the box standard solicitor and and a person who understands title splitting as the broker, the same, the same principle applies to an estate agent, commercial agent, much less because they kind of understand it a bit more on the commercial side of things anyway. I mean, the way they sell commercial units is very different to residential. But your resi guys, generally speaking, if it's a new estate agent or youngish estate agent, you really need to educate them about the, you know, the title splitting. Or sometimes I don't even go down that route. I just buy the block and then worry about it afterwards. So I don't even, I don't go down the route of what I'm going to try and do with it because, you know, A, they get confused. They don't understand it. They go and tell the seller that you're trying to buy it, but not buy it, but do some leases on it. And, but then you're going to buy the full out of the, you know, it gets confusing. They, they relay the wrong information. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got either the deal off the table or, you know, the, 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 the seller is like, you know, this sounds not right. I'm not going to go down that route. So, you know, sometimes you just have to just either speak to the seller themselves directly, if you can, uh, to educate and, and explain because they would have held these assets for a lot, for a long period. They understand there's four units in it. You're just trying to create leases, refurbish it, and then refinance it separately. Um, and a, a 20 year old stage, and as much as I like, you know, the, the, the new, new stage may not understand that concept. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. This has been really, really interesting. I'm really looking forward to reading the book. Now. <laughs> uh, uh, I've just been kind of looking through it as we've been speaking. And yeah, this is a very interesting strategy. And I think for people listening, you know, it's it's one of many strategies that works, that has challenges, that can be very profitable. But I think a lot of it comes down to us, our goals, our ambitions. Is this what we enjoy? Is it what we want to do? Is it something that we want to work at? Are we passionate about it? And some people have HMO, some people have SA, some people have buy to let. So just because, you know, as it is doing so well from this strategy, it doesn't mean that you're going to love it. It doesn't mean you have to love it. Uh, so before we close off, let's jump into a quick, quick fire round. Uh, what are the biggest three mistakes you have made in property? Okay, so I would say the first one was the buy to let one that I alluded to. I stuck on it for too long. I spent 10 years buying buy to lets, you know, uh, without really thinking about what I was trying, what I was doing. I was thinking, because my goal at that time was buy, 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 at some point sell. And then 10 years later, I thought, no, I need to change tax. So that's my first one. Maybe think first and then do after, which is what I preach now. Um, so that's one. Um, I took too long to scale. It's my second one. I think I, after 10 years, you know, I should have really been scaling a lot quicker or before 10 years, I should have been scaling my business a lot quicker than I ended up doing. So in the last 10 years, I've quadrupled my business, but it took me 10 years uh, to get to anywhere where it was reasonable. So that's my second one. I think I should have scaled a bit quicker uh, and, and taken up opportunities of the market then. And my third mistake, I, and it's to do with not scaling quick enough, is 
having a mentor. I think we have coaches for, you know, somebody trying to lose weight. We have a dietitian. We have a, a doctor who will tell us how to rehabilitate. If you have a knee op, uh, you have athletes with coaches that tells them how to shave time off their, of their running. And I should have taken a mentor earlier. And I did. Uh, in the last 10 years, I did after my MBA, I took a mentor on who shaped my mindset about money, my mindset about investment, but also my strategies and my ability to scale. It, it was that confidence to have somebody next to you to say, it's okay. You know what? I, I'm 20 years ahead of you. You know, it's okay. You'll be fine. And, and I think those are the three things that I think I could, if I had to go back and do something different, I'll change those three things. Mm, I like that. And then I suppose kind of conversely to that, what are your like top three tips for people who are new, let's say new to title splitting? So new to title splitting, I would say, I think something you've mentioned very uh, in your closing was get your goals right. So if you know what your goal is, is it money today? Is it money in the medium term? Or is it money for tomorrow when you retire? Get your goals that then shapes your plans and your strategy. And if that strategy is title splitting, then you really need to get somebody to help you through it to begin with. Read the books, listen to the podcast. Um, if you can find people to help you along the way, like a mentor or anything like that, try and tag on to at least your first one with somebody who has done it already. And that then shortcuts your risk taking and your ability to get the right deal in the first, you know, on the, on the first pass. And, and the, the, the final one I would say is you've got to have fun with it. You know, it, it's a bit like what you said, you know, some people enjoy buy to let, some people like HMO, loads of them like Airbnbs. You've got to ultimately do it because you love it. And, and yeah, money is the end goal of it. But if you're not enjoying what you're doing, it's going to feel painful for a long period of time. So try and enjoy the things that you're doing. And, and to do that, you know, you need to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Hmm. Cool. I love that. And what are your three goals for 2021? So three goals for 2021. One, uh, the big thing is um, on my on my agenda now is uh, I'm launching uh, a investment fund that I want to to launch this year, Quiddity uh, Capital. And the idea is to, is to democratize investment where investors can actually park their money or invest their money in the fund we invest it for them, but they make the returns that they can't find in a bank, leaving a hundred thousand pounds in or putting it on a stock exchange and then find that, you know, there's boom and bust all the time. You know, Coca-Cola is, you know, 30 pounds one day and then, and then it's fallen through the roof, Ryanair and stuff like that. So I really want to focus on that because I think that is about helping others invest in asset classes that actually deliver over the long period. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, it's been about seven, eight months now. I've started to coach uh, people around firstly title splitting and helping people develop their own skills and ability to execute on this strategy. And then from that, people have then wanted to coach on other strategies. But I'm really enjoying that. I really like helping a select few. I don't have the time. I'm an active investor. I, I really don't have the time. I'm not a coaching or a, a, a training course company but i like the the small one-to-one coaching that i'm offering to some investors at the moment and having that kind of um yeah having for them having that sounding board to help them through their their process and the third one as i mentioned is new build 
So I'm excited. I've got two sites that I, uh, one is already with planning permission. The second one is the bungalow that we talked about. Hopefully we'll get that signed off um, Q1 this year. And then we start uh, shoveling some mud and getting some foundations in. So really, those are my three kind of immediate goals, I guess, for growth. I love that. I <laughs> said thank you so much for coming on the Test Talks podcast. It's honestly been so, so interesting. Um, I love the case studies. I think it really highlights in reality what the deals can look like when they're done right. So if people want to get a hold of you or they want to check out your book, uh, you know, where's the best place and where can they find it? Sure. So first of all, you know, thanks Ted for having me on. I think, you know, I think you do a great service. I think, you, like I said, 10 years ago, podcasts really opened my eyes to other strategies. And I'm hoping that you are also creating the same impact for others here by doing these things. So I think it's, wor- it's a worthwhile cause that you're carrying for all of us. So thank you for that. In terms of access to uh, my book, so I, I wrote, I've written two books. One is called Scale Your Wealth Through Properties. Uh, and the second one is Grow Your Property Wealth Via Title Splitting. Uh, if you Google, or if you put my name on Amazon, so Azid Ganga uh, in Amazon, the two books will come up. You can have a read at them. Uh, the first one is really talking about the six key strategies that I employ to for my businesses. And then the second one is the obvious one is, is around title splitting, how to do it, where to find things and how to buy them. Um, the other way of, of uh, connecting with me is uh, via my website, Quiddity Group, uh, and I, I, I've got details on my coaching uh, programs on there. So it's just Q-U-I-D-D-I-T-Y group.co.uk. And a last one, I would say, if you are really interested in title splitting, have a, a check out on my Facebook group. I created a, t- a title splitting properties group on facebook uh there i we have a you know we have a network of about 12 1300 people now it's only been going for about six months but it shows the amount of interest that there is in this in this strategy uh you can post you can be as active as you want or as uh, uh you know you just want to follow and, and listen in that's also fine as well but hopefully you will find enough content that will help you through your journey amazing so that's that's a bit about me and how to reach me Perfect. And for the listeners, I will put all of these details in the show notes. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.